And now the City Club of Idaho Falls Forum, titled Disrupting the Electric Grid with Jackie Flowers, General Manager of Idaho Falls Power. Here's Amy Lentz introducing our guest. A terrific turnout today, and I, I have no doubt it has a lot to do with who our speaker is. So thanks everybody for, for, for coming today. So I, as long as I have known Jackie Flowers, I have never had the honor to introduce her, and I promised her I would behave and not tell any secrets or any stories that she might not want me to share. Um, <laughs> darn it. Uh, Jackie Flowers is the general manager of Idaho Falls Power and uh, has a, a, a lot of responsibilities as part of the manager for, for Idaho Falls Power. This includes 27,000 customers, a staff of 73 employees, a $63 million budget, 450 miles of transmission line, a dark fiber loop, and of course hydro power systems. That's a pretty big lift, but apparently that's not enough for Jackie to do on a day-to-day -day basis because she carries on many, many other responsibilities. As you may have heard, she has been appointed by the governor um, to be on the board of directors for the Idaho Strategic Energy Alliance. And is an appointed, she's also appointed to the Idaho Energy Research, uh, Resources Authority Board. And she chairs the board of directors for the Utah Association of Municipal Power Systems. She happens to be the first woman to hold that seat. And she serves as the verse, first vice president of the Northwest Public Power Association Board of Trustees. But wait, that is not all that Jackie does. Um, she is also very engaged in her community, as many of you may know. She served as the president and chair of the Partners of Science and Technology. She's also been uh, the lead at the, uh, as a Rotarian here in Idaho Falls. In fact, she is a member of the Paul Harris Association, which is not an easy accomplishment within the Rotary of Foundation. She also this year received 2017 Idaho Business Review Women of the Year honoree and received the 2017 Energy Advocate Special Recognition Award from the Partners of Science and Technology. Somehow she manages to have fun. I, I don't even imagine how she does that, but she loves the outdoors. She loves to probably eat this great food that her husband Mike cooks for her. He is an incredible cook, by the way. And she loves to hike and camp and kayak and spend a lot of time with her family. She is, gives the ultimate name for girl power in my mind. So please welcome to the stage, Jackie Flowers. How else am I going to hook you on the grid after lunch? Thank you. They're like, really? You want to shut the lights off? Yes, just for a minute. But truly, we don't think about our electric service. We take it for granted. The only time we think about it is when it goes off, and then you probably say things that I don't want to know what you say. The grid is arguably the modern time engineering accomplishment, greatest engineering accomplishment. It is a complex and expanse electric system 
that electric consumers care little for and think even less about. It is central to our modern lives, but it rarely enters our stream of consciousness. It is pervasive. It touches every life and every element of every life. Our grid was developed around the premise of using as much electricity as we want every day without thinking much about the time of the day or the power resource that's providing that energy. We just flip the switch and it turns on. We are fortunate in this country that we have the comprehensive and reliable network of resources known as the grid that we do that power our lifestyles and our economy. Imagine 16% of the global population does not have access to electricity and 38% of the global population live without clean cooking facilities. As somebody who likes to eat, that's hard to imagine. And while many in these areas are seeing modest improvements with electrification associated with off-grid solar and other technology driving progress, these resources are a far cry from the expansive grid network that we enjoy. They will need to make a significant investment to even come close to the modern day conveniences of our lives. Access to energy is fundamental to quality of life and it is key for economic development. While some areas of the world find themselves living in energy poverty, our country first developed its first coal-fired generation in New York in the Central Power Station in 1882. So imagine that number of people, 16% of the global population, does not have today the resources that we had started to develop in 1882. Mind-blowing to me. In Idaho Falls, our first generation was developed in 1900. We dropped a, a generator in an irrigation canal and we would fire that up when we wouldn't have a full moon at night to light the street lights. I think you could say how we use electricity has changed just a little bit. And we never shut the lights off when we have a full moon. And so was the trend in rural America. As we shifted from the 19th century to the 20th century, in large cities you may have seen dozens of generators making electricity for specific uses, while in small cities and towns, they would trend toward municipal grids, tiny islands of networked power among flickering candles and gas lanterns surrounded by farmland and forests. Locally owned utilities developed in a fashion that mirrors what is desired in modern day microgrids. Idaho Falls, I would count among that. You had a network of generation, utility infrastructure that would provide an area and a measure of independence or resilience from external threats. We had our own resources. We were not grid connected then. That's really what modern day microgrids contemplate. Today in our country, we are experiencing unprecedented transformation in the utility industry, driven by environmental pressures, challenging regulatory environment, technological advances, resource availability and affordability, changing customer expectations, and entrepreneurial efforts to edge out perceived dinosaur monopolies known as the utilities. I cannot even begin to give you a modestly comprehensive review of the grid in the amount of time that we have today. But what I hope to give you is a taste of a few of the elements that are disrupting the utility industry and what that might mean for you as the customer. The grid, like any complex mechanical system, is not just a machine. It is a reflection of the regulatory, business, cultural, and natural environments in which the machine functions. 
Historically, our grid has been constructed based on principles associating with generating and delivering electricity as a centralized activity. Very large power plants located far away from where people live, high voltage transmission lines bringing that energy to communities, and then distribution networks delivering that to your homes and businesses. By the mid 21st century, coal had established itself as king and it didn't lose that stat status of dominant fuel source until early in the 21st century. Of interest, the coal plant that Idaho Falls had considered investing in in 2006 was one of the last coal plant expansions to be discussed. The shift in dominant fuel source was realized shortly after the change into the 21st century, and now natural gas holds that title. The placement of those baseload plants far from population centers predicated construction of an expansive high-voltage network transmission system. This, transition, this transmission network spawned from a small cluster of customers tied to that first power plant in 1882 to a nationwide network of systems delivering electricities to cities and towns throughout the United States. In those days, citizens welcomed the sight of a power line coming down their road. It meant light, heat, and refrigeration. Today, it is far more, dif more difficult to build power lines and we take the end product for granted. America's grid is actually comprised of three smaller grids called interconnections that move electricity around the country. They are extraordinarily com complex things associated with grid and transmission jurisdiction that we don't have time to get into today. But it is important to think about what keeps the grid running. The reliability of the entire system depends on the concept of inertia. Baseload resources with dispatchable characteristics are, re are, are required to maintain desired voltage and inertia. The more we invest in intermittent resources, the more fragile our grid becomes. As you have more intermittent resources, this becomes more complicated to manage and ultimately leads utilities to have to have dispatchable resources on hand for standby when the sun is no longer shining or the wind is no longer blowing. The grid is quickly becoming required to take power from everywhere and distribute it to everywhere versus the centralized manner in which power has been del delivered for the history of our grid development. And the backbone of our generating fleet, existing nuclear, coal, and hydropower are nearing the end of their useful life. In fact, approximately one-fifth of, one of our generation fleet is more than half a century old and was developed on technology that was state-of-the-art in 1950. Baseload resources must aggressively adopt digital technology to become more efficient, cycle more quickly, comply with environmental regulations, and the changing complexion of the grid. Coal plants are being cycled in unprecedented ways to lower overall operational time for a resulting decrease in emissions. The manner in which those plants were designed and built was not with this in mind. Natural gas plants are very adaptable to changing loads and are easily firming up intermittent resources, which is why natural gas has quickly become the complement to our changing grid resource. But they still have carbon emissions and use what have been viewed as controversial extraction techniques. They may face obstacles in pipeline construction necessary to increase capacity to deliver gas to growing demands in power generation. 
Keep in mind, electricity travels at the speed of light, while natural gas moves at a quick 13 miles per hour. So we have some infrastructure investments that we'll need to make in order to sync up that supply with our demands. Nuclear energy got its start in the 1950s, as we all know, in our backyard, with the world's first peacetime use of nuclear power as the government switched on the environmental breeder reactor number one near ARCO, making it the first city in the world to be powered by atomic energy. Traditional nucle nuclear plants provide significant baseload generation output, but they are not flexible. They're not flexible like what we need in today's grid environment with the changing dynamics and the transitioning energy resources. The plant is either 100% on or it's 100% off, usually for refueling. And nuclear energy is on the decline in spite of the recent push for, for carbon-free energy. Nuclear generation has declined 7% in the last 10 years. We are prematurely retiring nuclear plants. We're replacing them predominantly with natural gas. Premature retirement of these plants has pretty much wiped out any progress that's been made by solar deployment in terms of carbon reduction. If we continue on this trajectory, we're going to move from a clean energy revolution to a clean energy counter-revolution. Nuclear continues to be plagued by public fear about safety despite multiple studies from various sources showing that nuclear is the safest way to make reliable power. And the conversation on spent nuclear fuel has not advanced much in the time since our nuclear fleet was put into place. There are scientific solutions to spent fuel. We just need to find the political will to address them. Disruption in nuclear technology is critical to saving this country's worldwide nuclear leadership. Advanced nuclear reactor technology offers dispatchable characteristics as was demonstrated in recent modeling of the new scale small modular reactor against output from the Horse Butte Wind Project east of Idaho Falls. In fact, the new scale team is currently studying use of its technology for production of heat and water in addition to electricity in a suite of hybrid energy system studies they're conducting with the Idaho National Lab. And while hydropower played a key role in early electrification of this country, and certainly our city, federal government investment in hydropower led to development of what is known as our backbone of our low-cost clean energy. For Idaho Falls, that predominant source is the Columbia, federal, Columbia River hydropower system. As customers of Bonneville Power Administration, we are repaying the federal government for its investment and the operation and maintenance costs in those power resources and those transmission services that they provide. With each changing administration, it seems we continue to battle the concept of whether or not the government should privatize those systems or charge market rates, which would essentially result in an arbitrary federal tax on the backs of electric customers in the Northwest. In addition to investing in large-scale hydro, the federal government financially supported bulb turbine project development in Idaho Falls. They were promoting development and deployment of new hydropower technology in the early 1980s. In fact, federal subsidies have been around as long as we've been generating electricity in this, in this country. They have been central to development of affordable energy, innovation and technology, and mitigating risk of early failure, even in what we now know as traditional resources. Some subsidies in the form of tax breaks date as far back as the early 1900s. 
federal subsidies have been central to innovation and diversification in fuel sources, with historic subsidizations of oil, gas, coal, nuclear, hydro, renewables, and more, more recently, grid modernization, to name a few. And like the subsidies, federal regulations and policies are intertwined with grid transitions. Obviously, I don't have time to go into all the policy changes. That's a really long story. But people are often surprised to learn how interconnected our industry is with politics and associated policy battles. Take, for example, the Public Utility Regulatory Policies Act, also known as PERPA. That was established in the late 1970s, and it was intended to promote energy efficiency and greater use of domestic and renewable energy. It has been game changer in terms of access to the grid by independent power producers, a policy that continues to influence generation development and grid operations today. Or the Energy Policy Act that separated generation from transmission, turning electricity into a commodity which is now traded, leaving the grid as a means by which to deliver that commodity. We have seen a multitude of air quality standards that coupled with limited projecting remaining life of coal plants is translating to limited ability to recoup investment in those new pollution control equipments and is resulting in premature shutdown of coal plants. These regulations are much more expansive than the recently politicized clean power plan. What about the fact that hydropower has not been, reg all hydropower, rephrase that, has not been recognized nationally or in many states as a renewable resource based on a strategic policy decision to promote investment in new renewable resources such as wind and solar. Or the omission of nuclear as a designated carbon-free source while setting goals for carbon reductions. Some peculiar missing points, don't you think? The grid has been rapidly evolving over the last decade as our values have changed. Federal and state decarbonization regulations coupled with subsidies have jump-started investment in renewables and energy storage. Because renewable resources do not hold the same inertial attributes as traditional baseload resources, the transition of fuel supply mix has mandated changes in grid management. We are starting to see those effects in the energy imbalance market and changes in real-time scheduling, all in the name of predicting resources as compared to demands, mitigating for any oversupply or overgeneration, or shortages that may cause cascading outages and disrupt our economy. Change is happening at a rate that is outpacing regulatory and policy change. Those lack of time, timely policy changes can have unintended consequences. An example is the wind deployment that's occurred in the Bonneville Power Administration territory. As we've seen more than 6,000 megawatts of new wind go online in their territory, we've left Bonneville Power Administration with the with the unenviable position of figuring out how to balance all that generation, especially in the spring when they have a lot of water and they have a lot of wind, and they also have requirements for, for fish protection. And they have to balance that system and keep the lights on and make sure that the wind developers don't lose any of their subsidies. On the customer side of the grid, we are seeing conflict as we transition policies that address how customers sell their surplus solar from their private systems particularly as utilities work to keep cross-customer subsidization from happening. More specifically, making sure those who can't afford solar aren't subsidizing those who can. 
and that all customers are equally contributing to the costs associated with investing in the grid, making improvements, and modernizing it. As we continue to see significant decrease in renewable and energy storage prices, we are seeing an increase in deployment. Contrast that with retiring baseload resources, you can start to see how the problem is getting a little complex. But with proper planning and adequate resources, shifts in generation can be accommodated. Take the recent solar eclipse. The 70 mile wide shadow from the moon is reported to have cut solar production by 9,000 megawatts, as much as electricity as can be produced by 15 coal plants. Baseload resources such as coal, nuclear, and hydropower provided the system backbone during that time, while natural gas plants were ramped up to offset the decrease in solar power and then ramped down as the sun returned. The ramp rates associated with the eclipse were aggressive, power output dropping by 70 megawatts a minute and then returning back on by 90 megawatts a minute. In contrast, that's about the amount of power that Idaho Falls Power uses in an average fall day. So the whole system goes up in a minute and goes down in a minute. The circumstance was entirely predictable in this case, which is probably more generous than most storms. But it did show it was a good test of planning and resilience of the grid. This gives you a glimpse at how politics and policies influence the grid, how changing power supply is disrupting the grid, and how technology is changing grid management. Barclays predicts the entire value chain in developed electricity markets will be turned upside down within the next 10 to 20 years as distributed energy and solar go mainstream. Deployment of grid-side technology is modernizing the grid to make it more responsive and improve utility ability to manage or control the grid. This includes the potential that grid storage could bring to grid operation. It could be game changer. But for now, there is no real economic means for storing electricity. It still must be used in nearly the same instant in which it is generated. Innovators and entrepreneurs are realizing exponential growth in storage technology, largely driven by progress in vehicle electrification that could change both the grid and the customer sides of the system. However, present day batteries are not near as efficient as the grid. Every time you put energy in a battery and take it out, you lose 20 to 40% of the power. But disruption of the grid doesn't end there. A Harvard Business School professor defined disruption in the innovator's dilemma in two categories. A new market disruption, where disruptive product addresses a market previously underserved, or a low-end disruption, offering a simpler, cheaper, more convenient alternative to an existing product. In its infancy, electric utilities were, in my opinion, the original cu customer platform provider. One entity managing and encouraging customers use appliances, street lights, streetcars, home lights. Public power is an early consumer choice or community aggregator approach. Communities invest in resources on the priorities of its community owners. In fact, you are now seeing towns work towards municipalization of their electric system because they want to decide where they get their power, what investments should be made, and how those impact their costs or what services should be developed. Today you see individual commercial customers in California teaming up to produce power or to secure power from sources that better reflect their values and then looking to their utility 
to provide the delivery of that power. Corporate America continues to drive demands for renewable energy. As of the end of 2016, 77 corporations have 100% renewable energy targets, largely driven by their customer values. That number has doubled in a year. Current targets translate to approximately 25 gigawatts of new renewable capacity. These are big names. Microsoft, Ikea, Google, HP, GM, Walmart, P&G, Amazon, Nike, Bank of America, to name a few. Prior to this point in time, customers would buy power from an unknown source of supply through their utility at a price they maybe didn't really understand, and they would count on the utility to make sure the power stays on and available at all times. With technology leading the way, electric vehicles, batteries, solar panels, other distributed generation, smart thermostats, responsive water heaters, portals, apps to monitor electric consumption, and spending levels, customers are no longer just ratepayers and are instead empowered end prosumers. Sorry, Randy, had to work it in there. <laughs> Shaping the, we have, a, we have a side joke about that. Shaping the power industry in transforming ways with high expectations of the customer experience and service offerings. The effect internet had on print media is analogous to what's happening in the electric utility. Maybe not intuitively. The internet was initially viewed by mainstream media as a tool to get their message out. But they forgot that it was a two-way flow of information and anybody could access it to create news. Either utilities are going to own the edge of grid or others will. By the edge of the grid, I mean that direct interface with end-use customers in a more expansive way than what we have historically seen. And in, in the end, many of the technologies can ultimately enable utilities to more efficiently manage their electric utility infrastructure. Utilities need to connect the dots. They need to engage end-use customers. They need to embrace new technology and customer expectations. Many of the new technological components are not in the traditional wheelhouse of utilities. So you're going to see more partnerships between utilities and vendors to provide better customer service. And for public power, you're gonna see more public-private partnerships to complete the task. Utilities need to evolve their service offerings and facilitate the conversation. Connected customers are changing all types of industries. Customer platform providers are winning. Just take a look around you. What has Airbnb done to, to, to traditional hotels? Uber versus taxis? Social media versus traditional media? Netflix versus Blockbuster? What if Amazon partnered with Tesla and SolarCity to provide platforms to enable you to better manage your electric use and maybe even bid for the lowest price energy? There are still a lot of barriers, but I guarantee these vendors are thinking this deeply about this market and you as the end-use customer. They are generally, and those folks are generally setting the bar in terms of customer service. So as utilities, we're gonna have to up our game. Our economy is increasingly driven and defined by platforms where digital assets are produced and shared across rapidly expanding ecosystems of technology. Google, Amazon, Facebook, the most powerful, compelling platform opportunities across the electric sector are based on the Internet of Things. 
That Internet of Things connectivity and service capability is the platform that will create optimizing opportunities to perform customer service and achieve operational and business goals in the future. Internet connected devices are growing at an alarming rate. Cisco projects that by 2021, more than half of the 27 billion gadgets will be internet connected. That trend is consistent with what we are seeing in the electric industry. A community-owned fiber optic network like that that we operate at Idaho Falls is already providing us with the ability to manage our own electric utility resources as well as other citywide infrastructure. Using extra capacity on that fiber network allows customers access to not only enhance our ability to serve them with new technology that is being deployed, but it also gives them the options to select who they want as an internet service provider. Communication platforms to facilitate connectivity with end-use consumers, whether through meters, wireless connectivity, fiber optic access, or mobile phone apps, will be critical to meeting future electric service requirements. The fight for customers will continue to intensify as end users gain more choices and seek out providers that offer them control of their energy use and costs via well-designed, customized digital experiences across all touch points, but particularly mobile. All end users will soon become digital customers. IDC Energy Insights estimates that by the end of 2020, non-utility and digital disruptors will seize 20% of the energy retail market. The traditional utility business model is being disrupted, and utilities are reinventing themselves. As utilities engage more in edge-of-grid services, they will know more about you and your preferences, and it will boost their ability to serve you and tailor programs to what customers want. Again, imagine the day when your appliances coordinate together based on pricing signals they get from the grid and parameters that you set. Your house, not you, could be deciding when to turn things on or off, coordinating power from the electric utility, coordinating it from your storage or your electric vehicle, and ultimately helping you, the consumer, manage your pricing. Seems a little bit like the Jetsons, doesn't it? This kind of disruption is going to re-envision the grid, disrupt the electric utility business model, and revolutionize service to our induced customers. Thank you. I think we're sharing a mic, so we'll, we can do that. we're good at sharing. <laughs> Thanks. Uh, Jackie, you ready for a few questions? We, we have more than a few, so we're going to get through as many of these as possible. Here, how about if I trade you? Is that on? Okay. Hello? There we go. That'll work good. So you gave us a great perspective into the future. You connected lots of dots. You connected lots of dots for us. You talk about data and how it connects into our use of electricity and where we're where we're going in the future. Let's bring it to Idaho Falls. Think about 10 years, 20 years from now, where are we going and what are you doing to kind of plan for our future? connecting these dots? Thank you. That's a great question. And it's really an important one because we really find utilities landing in one of four spaces. We either have our head buried in the sand, <laughs> fondly remembering the old days, or maybe we've got a toe in the water just testing it out, thinking, do I want to get in or not? Maybe we're on the bleeding edge of R&D, or maybe we are strategically thinking about how to embrace that change. 
I can say in Idaho Falls, it's almost like the seven stages of grieving. We've worked our way through all of them. We started in the head in the sand, this is all gonna go away, make it stop, you know, we just gotta keep the lights on, people don't understand the grid, they don't care. So then you think about, I don't know if we ever just put the toe in the water, I think we did the bleeding edge R&D with our smart grid project, and we learned a lot. And we learned a lot about what we don't know. And so we have taken a step back and we are starting to strategically think about where we're going to deploy different elements and different